The first lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. I invite you now to listen for the word of the Lord. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread it on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is not, the man, is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. The second reading comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 13 through 38. Listen now for God's word to us. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the blind the mud and opened the blind man's eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but we do not know how, he, how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind 
And they said to him, Give glory to God, for we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins and are trying to and you are trying to teach us and they drove him out Jesus heard that they had driven him out and when he found him he said do you believe in the son of man he answered and who is he tell me so that i may believe in him Jesus said to him you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he he said lord i believe and he worshiped him the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Riverside is part of the Children's Enrichment Workshop. And as part of that program, our church hosts three field days every spring at three different neighborhood elementary schools. The three field days occurred earlier this month and went well. For most students who attend these schools, it's the only day during the school year which is designated for play. During one of those events, I was stationed at a table with the duty of sounding the foghorn every five to six minutes when it was time for the classes to rotate to a different PlayStation. Next to me was the water station staffed by two parent volunteers. When the students were on the playground and play was well underway, a young boy was ushered over to the chair by the water station, which sat nearest the table at which I stood. He was, I presumed, in timeout. I didn't know what his infraction was, but he didn't seem that upset. I was able to discern that he hadn't harmed anyone. He simply seemed to have broken a rule. And after that relatively short time, he was able to go back on the playground to participate in the games with his class. The next thing I know, the same student was back in the same timeout chair. Again, the student didn't seem ruffled. He just put his head down on the table and seemed to be resting. One of the women at the water table began to communicate with the child in Spanish which was apparently the child's first language. Eventually, the school staff person who had put the child in timeout was summoned. A conversation ensued between the parent volunteer at the water table and the school staff person, 
in which the parent volunteer sitting at the water table asked, what did he do that was so bad? He didn't harm anyone, to which the playground staffer said, he broke one of the rules and he has to pay the price. The woman then said, this child speaks Spanish and may not have understood your rules. What you may consider to be a failure to follow your rules actually in his culture may be an acceptable form of behavior. More debate ensued, and after what seemed like a long time, the boy was able to return to the playground. Who sinned, the boy or the staff person? What even is sin? The word sin carries ages of historical baggage. It has been used by religious leaders and others to punish, to divide, to control and to limit people's freedoms and choices. I am not saying we shouldn't hold people accountable. However, all sides of the story need to be heard, particularly those over and about whom we tend to talk. Jesus' disciples jumped to the conclusion that the man born blind or his parents must have sinned and therefore the man deserved what he got. Jesus is quick to put the disciples' conditioned assumptions to rest. Jesus sees this man as a whole human and does not count the man's blindness as a deficit. The interaction between Jesus and the blind man is fluid. Jesus sees and frees the man. While the man's neighbors, friends, and even his family members and religious leaders seem fixated on their religious rules and wallow in their blindness. Rules are made to make people safe, yet taken to the extreme, they can be used as weapons. Jesus was unruly. Here, Jesus is right in front of them, performing a miracle on the Sabbath, no less, and yet it was a sign that would help point the way toward God and God's grace but it was lost on the observers. Jesus centers the very people that society decenters and dismisses those who seem different. In those days, if someone were, was perceived as being different, meaning someone who had a disability, a disease, someone who sounded, looked, or behaved differently than this perceived norm, they must have done something wrong they or their family members must have failed in some way. We create, unfortunately, these categories that we put people in to try to limit their, our, they, which only limits, limits our scope and the voices, visibility, and inherent human value of the people whom Jesus would have us hear from, see, and learn from. People who exist in our midst today in this very neighborhood who we often skirt and scoot past, are seldom truly seen and heard. Their stories rarely told. Jesus elevates and amplifies the very voices and stories of the overlooked and the underserved. So they can not only be seen and heard by us, the reader, but so that they can see and hear themselves. Jesus is all about seeing, healing, and giving people who couldn't normally or wouldn't normally be seen, heard, and healed a platform from which to teach others. 
The Greek definition of the word sin literally means to miss the mark. We all do it one way or another. However, the inclination is often to point out how other people miss the mark. We can easily get caught up in the sin cycle by bypassing ourselves and constantly judging others, which of course has a boomerang effect. I've heard it said that sin separates us from God, which is plausible in this story, given the focus of the peanut gallery, which is not on Jesus or the good news that Jesus brought. The text even says in verse 16, the people were divided. Sin not only separates us from God and from one another, it also separates us from ourselves. Everyone except Jesus and the man born blind seems stuck in the muck of sin in this biblical narrative. It's as if Jesus is saying to the onlookers in this story, you're missing the mark. The point is not to be fixated and stuck in the sin cycle. It is to see God in our midst, working through people like the man born blind. After healing the man and stating his peace, Jesus disappears, and the man born blind assumes center stage. He tells his story, a story that has implications for the storyteller and those gathered. The efforts made by neighbors and religious leaders to keep the man down by making him tell his story over and over again, hoping for a different response, speaks perhaps to the rigidity of their rules and their own insecurities. Can you just imagine the healed man telling his story over and over as he was asked, and unbeknownst to the interrogators, the man is getting freer by telling the story as he realizes the wonder of it all. While his accusers double down and become more agitated, the blind man shares his story, not just so his parents, neighbors, and the religious leaders could hear it, but so he too could hear it and believe it himself. Three times the man who was born blind testifies and shares his truth, but all the listeners can do is point their fingers at him. The image on the bulletin cover reminds me of the saying, when you point a finger at someone else, there are three fingers pointing back at you. And one of my personal favorites, if you spot it, you got it. Our blind spots and biases are often difficult to see. The irony of it all. It's easier to distract ourselves with other people's problems and perceived faults than it is to look at ourselves. And it's only by degree that we are healed. Sometimes it feels safe to wear the blinders so we don't have to see what we don't want to see. And that's called privilege. However, there are opportunities to witness small and large miracles every day, sometimes through what is often considered a negative experience. Our youngest child, Jasper, was just two years young when we realized quite by accident that they were having seizures upon waking in the morning. The seizures occurred sporadically and somewhat infrequently Doctor visits and tests revealed that they had a mild form of what was called benign Rolandic epilepsy, a condition in the brain that causes one to have seizures. I read that seizures could be caused by head injuries, and that in the back, so in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, gosh, you know, 
I can remember times when I failed to buckle Jasper in the stroller and they fell out and hit their head, or when they leaned way back when I was carrying them and hit their head on the door frame. I couldn't help but wonder if I was somehow responsible for their condition. We monitored and managed Jasper's condition and situation for years without medication because Jasper was not in jeopardy of harming themselves or anyone else. Yet, it was a precarious time for us and as family members and parents. Then one day, when Jasper was in the first grade, I got a phone call from a staff member at their school and was told that Jasper had had a grand mal seizure right in the middle of class. That's not grand mal, it's grand mal, which means big and bad. Apparently, it had happened just after recess when first grade classes had come in off the playground. I picked Jasper up from school and we headed straight for the hospital where Jasper recovered. And then we were faced with the dilemma of how to treat the epilepsy. Seizure meds have severe side effects and were preventative, not curative. However, doing nothing was not an option. The seizures had become more frequent and full-blown. I remember asking one pediatric neurologist if they believed in alternative treatments. The answer was an unequivocal no. So of course, I went looking for alternative treatments. One morning, I was walking with my friend Carol, who knew our story and was aware of my search for the solution, when she shared with me that her mother-in-law, Peggy, had just come off of her seizure medications due to a therapeutic treatment that her sister had taken her to in Connecticut. Carol said she would not have seen it if she had, wouldn't have believed it if she hadn't seen it with her own eyes. And the same therapeutic clinic that had opened, a, had opened a satellite in Jacksonville. It sounded too good to be true. I spoke with the therapist from Center for Integrative Manual Therapy and made an appointment. The procedure was literally laying hands on different organ centers of the body for maybe 20 or 30 minutes intervals. I was able to participate in every session and was told it would take a session every week for several weeks. To our knowledge, Jasper has not had another seizure. I consider this healing a miracle. I'm also aware that we had the means, the connections, the access to alternative therapies for which medical insurance would not pay. And I will say, when I had the opportunity to tell the story, it was often met with raised eyebrows and skepticism. But it is a story and a miracle for which I will always be grateful. We no longer believe that conditions like epilepsy are caused by sin and that those who have epilepsy are somehow sinners. We each and all hold value and are all whole human beings, no matter what. There is still skepticism around miracles and healing. We explain them away, minimize their value, and ignore the hope and the possibility that they point to. People just can't quite go there and allow themselves to believe. We look for scapegoats to blame our illnesses and disabilities and differences, and that way of thinking needs to be healed. When we get stuck there, stuck in the muck of fault finding and fear, Jesus seems to just be saying, see, there's a bigger picture, a bigger narrative. There's always more to the story. Instead of the default question, who sinned? What if we wondered 
What's their story? What narratives have we been conditioned to believe that need to be revisited and revisioned? The man born blind may have been driven out of town, but nothing could take away his newfound vision and his encounter with Jesus. Why don't we think the best of people instead of the worst? Our differences as assets, not defects. Jesus seemed more about the business of elevating people's stories and liberating the burdens and the barriers of sin to help us see a better way to live and to be. Sin has as much power as we give it, and storytelling is a part of the healing process. And healing is about seeing, not about sinning. May it be so.